Hello, I'm Julia Ringo, Associate Editor at FSG. And my name is Jonas Hassan Kemiri, and I'm the author of The Family Clause. In this episode of Wellversed, Jonas and I will be discussing his novel. So Jonas, I thought we could start maybe with you telling me about the seed that became the family clause. What was the first element of the novel that came to you, the central idea of this novel? Um, well, the central idea came when I was on paternally with my second child. And uh, I found myself thinking a lot about what it means to be a good parent. And mm-hmm. um, especially kind of how terrible it would be to realize too late that you did a crappy job. And I had this idea of, um, I had kind of an, I saw an elderly man in front of me who was, um, had a realization that he was a terrible parent, but couldn't go back into time. So what he did was, um, you know, trying to change his past through taking care of um, the next generation, like his grandchildren. That was kind of a vague uh, image that I had before starting out. Um, and the book deals with um, one of the things that the book is about a family and we meet the um, three main characters, the son, the father, and the sister. I like to think of them. And one of the things that happened towards the end of the novel is that the well, there is a similar scene in the novel towards the end where the, the, the old father actually for a few moments takes care of um, his grandchildren, even though he was never a great dad. So um, I kind of slowly worked myself up to um, to that scene. So in a way, when he does that, it's almost as if he's kind of turning time inside out or like for a few seconds, he is the good parent that he dreamt he could be. The novel takes place over the course of 10 days during which the father is visiting his children in Sweden. And we watch over the course of these 10 days and alternating between perspectives of these family members as decades of pain and hurt are funneled into these interactions between the characters. Also, this, this sort of chaos that ensues and formed by the circumstances in which the son and daughter find themselves during this 10-day period just in their own lives. All these characters, um, but especially the children perhaps, struggle with this idea that family circumstances define your destiny, as you put it at one point late in the novel or as the narrator does. Um, To what extent do you think that's true for these characters, that they are defined by their family circumstances? And what does it mean to struggle against that? Well, in a way, what they what they found themselves they, they end up in a situation where they are kind of controlled by their past, even though they are really adamant or like focused on breaking with it. To take the like the son as an example, like his primary goal, his driving force in life is almost like he does not want to be like his dad. So he spends his time and a lot of his wake, like the moments when he's awake is spent on trying to kind of think about what would my dad do now and do the opposite. Mm -hmm. And 
does that mean that he's free? In a way, right. he's really trapped by the past because he's living in the shadow of someone who is not present. And still, he's just like so far from being grounded. Um, yeah, but so far from being himself, I could say. Um, I can't speak about it generally, but in, in this book, I, I, I know that there are certain characters that kind of surprised me when I was writing it because they were able to break free uh, from these circumstances. And one of them is the mother. Um, mm -hmm. You know, when, when normally when I start writing, I have the kind of, I have characters, I have an idea of where, where I'm going. Um, and the moment when things really get interesting for me as a writer is when I realize that, you know, they, these characters are not willing to do what I have planned for them. And they're kind of looking at me and saying, well, actually that's not what I'm about to do because I have my own agenda. Mm -hmm. And um, one of those moments was uh, towards the end of it, I, I knew that the mother, so we have the, the father, the sister, the son, I knew that the mother was going to come in at some point. It was like this force in the novel, she would come in and I thought, I thought that she would heal stuff. I thought that she would come in and take on the, you know, the classical outdated idea of, you know, a woman coming in to kind of take care of all these conflicts and make them come together or something. And and I realized the moment when she came in, I was just like, she's not gonna heal. Like she's not here to to make them she's not here to be taken for granted again. I think that was the energy she came in with. Like basically she has taken care of the kids and you know, the parent who is always there is often the, in, in the one who is not seen mm -hmm. and she's tired of them. So when she comes into the novel, she says, she's the one who kind of breaks free from circumstances and, and, and um, manages to re, redefine herself, redefine her, her future. Um, and in some ways that was, um, she didn't act as I had planned her to do, but I think that was one of the moments also where I felt I was quite inspired by her, by her ability to break with the past. Um, mm. I think the, the, um, the son and the father and the sister are more entangled um, right. and will have a harder time to break free. So as we've alluded to already in this, exchange um one striking feature that many readers have commented on is that the characters are identified not by name but by their relationship to others in the, usually others in the family um the son who is a father a sister who is a mother even um the heartbreaking line the son who can't support his family who can't get his children to sleep who can't make his girlfriend happy did you did you ever think of these characters by name? And so when did when in the novel's life did you decide to refer to them this way? And is this choice reflective of these powerful ties that keep the characters yoked to their past, or does it have another significance for you? Well, um, what one way of answering it is just to say that they resisted names, like they they. They, it wasn't as if I had called them like um, I had names that I removed, so to speak. But mm -hmm. um, I was working on two projects in parallel. Um, I had a, a big chunk of text 
that I was not able to bring to life the way I wanted. And then kind of in frustration that that wasn't taking off as I wanted to, I I opened a new document and I wrote a line in Swedish, which is, en pappa som är en farfar kommer tillbaka till landet han aldrig lämnat. Which in English, uh, in Alice Mendes' um, great translation becomes, uh, a grandfather who is a father is back in the country he never left. Mm. And I was just, um, I was just, surprised by that myself i wasn't sure how that was possible like i realized that he was both a father and a grandfather and he was coming back to a country that he's never left what does that mean well apparently he it's really important for him to convince himself that he has never left mm-hmm. and why is that you know and so um the 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 characters didn't have names from the beginning and they as i wrote it the text asked more and more questions that I had to investigate while writing. Um, and it's true, they are they are continuously, like the son is a father to his kids, but the moment his father enters the room, he becomes the son. You know? mm-hmm. And I think that's also quite true of my experience of being in a family structure, you know, mm-hmm. how I can be a dad all I want, but you know, the moment my father walks in the door, I'm his son. Mm-hmm. So there's this, kind of um, the fluidity of um, family um, you know, relations. It was a way of trying to capture that, I think. Um, I think it's also um, one other thing that, that happens in the novel is that the, we have a sister who has lost touch with her kids mm-hmm. or, or her son, actually. So she is a mother, but she's not, currently in comp like her son has actually chosen not to be in touch with her and that was a thing that i saw up close like that kind of i had a person in my my life who experienced the pain of having your own child saying actually i don't want you in my life um and i have seen this particular person go through a lot of stuff in life because life is hard um, but I have never seen anyone have that kind of pain when you know your your own flesh and blood chooses to say that I don't want you now. Um, and I knew that that would make itself into the novel because it also created a lot of you know, questions for this particular person. Like, am I a parent if my kid chooses not to want me as a parent? Those kind of questions. Yeah, it raises the question too of whether she is the she has failed like her father has failed or in a different way, whether you are a failed parent if your child refuses or wants to change your relationship in a fundamental way like this. Yeah. And yeah. the the grandfather's children are grappling with this question as regards their relationship to their their own father at the, at the very yeah. moment of the novel. Yeah. There are so many moments like that that one could interpret it as, you know, maybe she's done a great job. She has fostered someone who is capable of being that adult to say, actually, I don't want you, I don't need you in my life. Maybe that's the point of being a parent, to foster someone who can say, <laughs> I got this. Um, and that's not the case with the son and the father, you know, they, they, 
they have like endless conflict about things that mean nothing. You know, there's this, mm-hmm. you know, this like um, the uh, the repetitions of like who is going to pay for coffee. Mm-hmm. You know, basically the son every time he goes to coffee he pays for the father, and he has done th- that all his life, and he's so sick of it. He just wants the father wants to pay for a coffee, and when we see it from the son's perspective, we understand him like it's not much. It's a couple of bucks but like mm-hmm. year after year to meet care of your father what does that mean but then we when we switch perspective and we enter into the father's um see the world with the father's eyes we realize that for him it's a sign of you know showing the world that look i have made a person who is adult enough to take care of me mm-hmm. you know it's a privilege for him to buy me coffee look at him go you know yeah um, and it's um, and of course these you know it's not at all about coffee but the interesting thing when you write about families is that a small thing like coffee become it becomes charged with the history with historic pain you know so when the son says please buy me coffee what he's saying is of course like please take care of me or like why did you leave me? You know, like that, but that's right. that's not possible to say in a family. A son can turn, it's very tricky at least for someone to turn to another family member and, and go that deep. So what right. we fight about is the, you know, the, the 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 more superficial things that are charged with a lot of historic emotion. Right. That that paper cut that stings the most in the moment itself. Yeah. Yeah. So going back again to the the beginning or before the beginning of the novel, um, I'm struck by one of your epigraphs. It comes from Aimé Césaire's And the Dogs Were Silent. And it reads, I have made a pact with the night. For 20 years past, I have felt it softly hailing me. So the drama from which this is drawn is an allegory of the Haitian Revolution, as I understand it, that draws on Egyptian and Greek myth to illustrate a spiritual journey. Um, so what does this line have to say about the family clause to you? And how do you see this connection between the play and your novel, if you do see one? On the wall of my office, I have a bunch of quotes mm-hmm. that I've just, you know, as I find them, I put them up there. And sometimes I misremember them, so I tweak them involuntarily. And, and this was the thing I, I read years, years back, and I just... There was something about that, the kind of um, hypnotizing uh, call for solitude that I think both the son and the father are walking around with this kind of fear that they will once, that they will become uh, uh, prisoners of the past, so to speak. And Mm -hmm. I think the, what I, what that quote does to me is this is, you know, we all have a sense of our own destiny, so to speak. Uh, and I think the the son in the book is terrified that his destiny is to leave his kids. Like, no matter what I do, I will end up leaving them because that's the one thing I don't want to do. So he spends this paternal leave during this t- 10 days. He's, the one thing he knows is that he will not leave because his father left and that father left. Like he doesn't want, he wants to be the person who breaks the family spell. But what happens to a person who goes around thinking that 
you know, almost makes it into his life work not to be something. Mm-hmm. Well, that idea, that forbidden idea of who he's not takes up a huge space inside him. And ultimately, towards the end of a book, he, you know, he must collide with that, um, kind of, um, you know, the, the, the longingness for to leave. He collides with it, but then, um, in a way, he he heals something through the act of coming back. Um, so I think that was why why I chose that uh, quote to start the book. Without spoiling too much, we we do learn pretty early on. I think that in addition to the two living children, who um, the grown children who are the focus of this novel, the grandfather also had a previous daughter who died and in a startling turn we end up hearing from her partway through the book um i wonder what how you thought about including that character and this this is a child with whom one could say that the father did definitively fail he failed to bring his daughter and well i guess she's she lived to adulthood but She's not survived everything that life threw at her. Um, so what's, what is the importance of that story, of that thread of the novel to you? And do you think that the father's failure with this daughter informed his parenting of the other two? Yeah, I think that um, that was the one thing that I knew starting out. I knew that there was um, someone from the past who would visit like come to life and um and i knew that the father like one of the things you know when when we meet the father we 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 feel that his body is really heavy you know he walks around in a body that is decaying and he is confident that he's the smartest person around but he is also the most isolated and lonely person mm-hmm. um one of the most lonely persons that i've seen um but there was something in him and the pain of that he had of like, you know, how, how he spends so much energy into convincing himself that he doesn't need anyone um, that uh, can be explained by the fact that once, you know, he, he walks around with this alternative life where he didn't leave his first daughter and where she didn't die. And he doesn't know. He doesn't know that if he could have saved her, but he knows that as things turns out, he has this huge kind of alternative idea of of his life that um, that he will never be able to he will never be able to repair that. Um, then you know he has two other ch- uh, children. I think at some on some level maybe he kind of. Maybe he resents them for, maybe he's trying to blame them for what happened to the first child. Because um, one of the things that he's, you know, he falls in love with the second woman of his life and he is so much in love that he can't stay. Like it's not even a question. Like he's, he, he has to leave according to his own myth, so to speak. I think that just, you know, we all have things in our lives that we regret. We all have things that we think about, you know, what would have happened if I went back? What would, if I turned right there, would, would my life be different? If I talked to that person, would my life be different? But 
if you walk around with the pain of thinking that your choice has in some ways kind of caused pain to someone you love, well, that's, you know, that's, that's going to be dreadful. If that person is, turns out to be kind of your, your own flesh and blood, that you've, yeah, I, I think that pain is really, really hard to bear. Um, so the dead daughter comes in midway through the novel. And that was also another point where I just had the feeling that she was just going to burn the pages of the book with her anger. Mm. Like being just, um, you know, entering, the, I had this idea that she would just enter like in all caps and just like light the thing on fire. And the weird thing is that she enters and she's the only one who seems to care about the dad. Mm-hmm. Like she enters and she she's not saying that he was a good dad, but it's almost like she involuntarily understands him because she has seen where he comes from. Um, and she is, you know, when I thought that she would rebel against him and say, you know, um, I will never, ever, ever forgive. She's the one who actually saves him. Who picks him up? Who, who, um, yeah, who, who, who renders? He's the only. She's actually the only one who kind of touches him, um, even though she doesn't have a body. So that's you know the the touching becomes tricky. But but um, I think there was also something soothing in that for me. You know that there, if she can forgive. Who am I not to forgive? You know, maybe that's maybe that's some kind of lesson. Um, or if like if she can forgive, then of course like my children will be able to forgive me. Like there's something in that that the possibility of like you weren't great, but you at least you tried with whatever tools you had. Yeah. Yeah. There's there's something really wonderful about these two ungovernable characters that end up ended up bringing some more mercy to these pages than than you'd sort of had planned for them Mm. Mm. that's lovely the novel is very much focused on contemporary fatherhood and often gets quite claustrophobic in that setting um and felt often rather relevant to the life we're experiencing right now under covid so I wonder how has the pandemic been for you and how has it shaped fatherhood, work, and perhaps what you're writing now? Yeah, so we, I live with my kids and my wife um, a little bit south of Stockholm. And as you know, Sweden has taken uh, quite a different route when it comes to COVID. Uh, so during the spring, our lives were quite unchanged. You know, schools were open and, and I, I have an office that I w- w- like walk to every morning. You know, of course, like um, there were books that were, there was a book tour in June that was uh, canceled and there were like a lot of travels and those kind of practical things. But the important thing is like, we've been healthy, knock on wood, and I've been able to work not as efficiently as I had hoped to, because there's been quite a lot of dooms scrolling as well. But mm-hmm. um, I, I have actually had the feeling that, that when, when things get out of hand, like my writing has always been there. 
And that has been the case like from when I, one of the earliest memories I have of writing something was when I was like, what was it like 18, 19, I was on this just terrible vacation with a friend of mine, but just like a lot of really drunk Swedish people around me. And I come from a background where people don't drink that much. Like I had never seen drunk, I, I had seen drunk people that not that kind of drunk, you know, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And I was there with my friend and like, we didn't know how much to drink and like instantly he drank too much and ended up at, at like a hospital for like, uh, you know, he was just like, yeah, he drank himself sick kind of. There is a point to this story, I think. So, <laughs> but the feeling I'm was, I, I just remember, I just remember being at, you know, being by myself, I'm like 18 at Ayanapa on Cyprus, in this setting, feeling like this is the worst place I can be in right now. Like I hate being here right now. And then what I did was that I, you know, there was some kind of outlet and a security in knowing, well, I have my pen and pad, I can, I can write myself out of this place. And that's been my strategy from, yeah, all my life. So, so in these times of turbulence and unknowingness and, and also fear of the kind of political consequence of, consequences of what we're going through, um, I've been able to kind of uh, go into writing mode and, and um, have actually uh, had quite a good time when I've not been like, uh, you know, spending way too much time on, on new sites. Well, that's reassuring to hear. <laughs> and <laughs> I'm glad that you've had that, that refuge. It's been cool. lovely talking to you. And Great. thank you so much. Signing off for Wellverse. Thank you, Jonas, and take care. Thank you. Take care.